Hi, and welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. We are excited to move into the chapel in just a couple weeks. We're excited to be at the Hawk next week, and we're excited to be here with you guys today as we continue in our series, Bear Fruit, where we are looking at how do we live a life that is formed into the image of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up... um, you know, I love to have movie night as a kid. I mean, everyone loves movie night as a kid. You get popcorn and the candy. And uh, growing up, I loved M&Ms. Like, that was like one of my favorite things. Every once in a while, I'd mix the M&Ms into the popcorn. If you haven't tried it, don't knock it. Uh, but it is, it is so, it was great. And one of my favorite movies growing up uh, was Karate Kid. Right. I mean, like you just it's like such a good one. Really, I was always drawn to the movies of underdogs. Right. And I think that's one of the things I love about the movie, The Karate Kid. Like it's just such a clear underdog. Here's this kid, Daniel LaRusso, gets beat up as he moves to a new new town. And he comes and finds Mr. Miyagi, who teaches him how to wax on and wax off, how to sand the deck. Right. How to paint the fence. And all of a sudden, he is good enough to win this karate tournament uh, in out of nowhere, right? Uh, the underdog story, right? Or, you know, you take any kind of movie that, that, that has an underdog in it, and oftentimes it's a similar storyline. But the thing that I love about um, these kind of movies is often what happens is there is a teacher or a coach or a leader who impresses upon this person what is needed to get to be where they want to be. The same is true in our faith, friends, that there is a reality that we come up against in our lives that to be the person that not only we just want to be, but who we, cre- we believe that God created us to be will require us to submit to the leadership of another. And for us, that, that leader is Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, something that we say here at Hill City often is that as followers of Jesus, we desire to build our lives around three goals. It's not wax on, wax off. It's not sand the deck or paint the fence. But rather, it is be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We believe that this is the kind of threefold goal of a follower of Jesus. And we're in the midst of a series where we are looking at one of Jesus' most famous kind of times in all of Scripture known as the Upper Room Discourse. That's, and one section of that Upper Room Discourse is found in John 15. And in John 15, Jesus is looking to his disciples and he says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. For us as followers of Jesus, our, our desire, our heart, what we were created for is to bear much fruit. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, that can only be done by remaining in Jesus. Or in other words, being with him, becoming like him, and doing what Jesus did. 
And so what we have been naturally asking the question along the way is, but how does this happen? Okay, remain in Jesus is, it, it, it sounds good and it makes sense, it's biblical, but I think it's still a little vague in what do I do tomorrow morning when I wake up? How do I remain in Jesus tomorrow morning? And so we, we found uh, kind of what we're calling the intentional formation triangle to be a helpful tool, a helpful picture for us in what is our role in remaining in Jesus. And here's the formation triangle. Uh, it, you can see it here on the screen. The formation triangle is really made up of three things, teaching, practices, and community. But here's the thing, we can obviously control the teaching that we submit ourselves to and how we can kind of fill our mind with that kind of teaching. We can submit ourselves to different practices or habits that we live out in our daily life. We can submit ourselves to the different kind of community that we are a part of. But the reality is this, all of those things are, are good but they are not enough to form us into the image of Jesus. We need that core, core part of the triangle, which is the center, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit meets us in our teaching. The Holy Spirit meets us in the practices or habits of our lives. And the Holy Spirit meets us in our community to actually bring about this kind of transformation in a way where we begin to bear fruit, and not just any kind of fruit, but fruit that lasts. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we have been looking at each kind of component of this triangle. Week one in our series, if you weren't here, uh, and, I, and I need to acknowledge, we, we had some audio recording issues that week, and so we just re, uh, re-recorded it on Wednesday. That podcast was just edited and done, so you'll see January 7th message coming up this week online so that you can kind of get all caught up with us. But we introduced a tool on January 7th called a way of life. And really, this way of life is a tool for how you can organize your life in a way to ultimately bear fruit. Last week, we talked about our teaching and how do we submit ourselves to teaching in such a way that it renews our mind, Romans 12, and demolishes the strongholds that we hold in our thinking. This week, we're going to focus on practices and how they are wildly important for our daily lives. And some of you are, anytime you hear practice, you automatically have the Allen Iverson just uh, clip replaying in your mind. We're not talking about that kind of practice, but rather this is kind of what we mean when we say the practices. Practices are based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. So these are uh, soul training exercises. James Bryan Smith says Dallas Willard calls them spiritual habits or uh, Richard Foster calls them the spiritual disciplines. Other people call them the spiritual practices. These practices are not just anything that feels good or right in the moment. No, these practices are specific things that are based off of the life of Jesus. And what they do is they create margin for us to ultimately experience the Holy Spirit moving in each of these formative areas of our lives, our thinking, our action, and our community. This is what these practices do. And what's important about these practices, again, is that we did not just kind of choose 
handfuls of ones out of the Gospels to place before you in a way of life. But rather, these practices, we believe, are counterformation practices to the currents of our cultural moment. Right? We are in a moment where silence and solitude is not a high value in our world because we are always connected, always going, always moving. I mean, if you're anything like me, I am not trying to sit and be still. I am trying to, I will go two miles further just to make sure that I don't hit traffic so that I can always be moving in my commute, right? We are always moving, always going, but solitude is a way to push against that formative uh, current of our culture. Same thing with the other practices. We believe, and you will learn about this more as we go through them over the course of the rest of the year, that these practices are not just good things that will ultimately bear fruit, but these are counterformation practices against what our culture is forming us into. And so these practices are a big deal when it comes to our way of life. But if you're anything like me, I kind of grew up believing and hearing for a long time that my faith had zero dependence on what I did. In other words, my actions don't do anything for my faith because I am saved by faith alone. And so I have to ask the question, is there a place for practices in our faith? Is there a place for practices in our faith? Ephesians 2 is, is a well-known passage, it's a fantastic passage, and it's often where people look to, to, to kind of clearly point to this faith alone idea. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, and it's not by works or practices or habits or whatever you want to call them. So that no one can boast. Paul very clearly communicates and portrays that we are not saved by works or practices in any way. Rather, we are saved through faith in Jesus and his redeeming work on the cross. And I respond to that saying, yes and amen. That is how we are saved. And this is an important point to make when we are talking about the spiritual practices or way of life that we will be entering into in this upcoming year. We are not saved by them. I don't know how much more clearly. So I don't want emails saying like, oh, you're confused. We're saved by our practices. We are not saved by our practices in any ways. The only work that is needed for our salvation, the only work that it will ever be be necessary for our salvation is the work of Jesus on, our, on the cross. Not our actions, not our words, not our attitudes, not our families, not our careers, not our generosity. None of those things will earn salvation for you or for me. It is only earned through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. That is for our salvation. However, I must acknowledge that for our sanctification, for our becoming more like Jesus as a response to our salvation, the practices play a significant role. So when it comes to our salvation, it is by Jesus alone, by faith alone in him, but to begin the process of looking more like Jesus, the practices play a crucial role. And again, I I need to say, 
that these practices will not save you or bring you into a relationship with Jesus. These practices will only help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus and the gospel writers, they knew this, they understood this, and this is why all throughout Scripture we actually see a healthy emphasis on practices. And the most well-known sermon of G- that Jesus ever gave is the Sermon on the Mount, and I know that you guys know that if you were with us over the summer, because that's how we spent our summer. Well, he ends the Sermon on the Mount, the most poignant kind of teaching about what life in the kingdom looks like that Jesus ever gave with this analogy found in Matthew 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and they beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, what Jesus is saying is those who hear him and put his teachings into practice are wise. They live in a state of wisdom. Later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says this, when when his mother and brother, they come and they try to kind of get him to come out, here's what Jesus, Jesus responds with. He says, my mother and my brother are those who hear God's word and what? Put it into practice. John 13, 17 says this, Jesus again, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you think about them, hear them, plan to do them, but never follow through. No, if you do them. And again, James, in in one of the kind of famous letters that emphasizes kind of the role of faith and action, says this in James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a lot that we could look at in that passage, but for the moment, my emphasis is that James is highlighting a faith that is active in their pursuit of Jesus. These passages, they help us to show, they help to show us that faith is not simply what we believe in our minds. I believe that it begins that way. It begins here, but it begins to work itself out in our lives. Why? This is a really important part. Because you cannot think your way to becoming like Jesus. This is why in the formation triangle, teaching and practices go together. Good teaching submits our our minds to the story of God. It renews our minds. It demolishes those strongholds. And then it is reflected in the way that we live each and every day. What's interesting is even just that, that statement, you cannot think your way to becoming like Jesus, feels off for some of us. 
It's because we are the product of the Enlightenment. If you guys know, don't know much about the Enlightenment, uh, back in the 1600s, there was a new emphasis that was kind of placed on study and thinking and the ways that, that our minds and thoughts form us. And what's interesting that as a result of the Enlightenment, in the church, two branches that were always together up until that point separated. Up until the 1600s, theology and spirituality were always together. It was, not, it was not like you had your serious students of the word, and then you had kind of the monastic people who were all about practicing them out in the wilderness. No, no, no. It was always you would find the religious leaders who believed much about God and then lived that out in their lives. But as a result of the Enlightenment, theology became the arm of the church that focused on doctrine and right thinking. And then spirituality became the arm of the church that kind of focused on right living. What's interesting is that your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy are always meant to be together. But yet, because we are products of the Enlightenment, we think, therefore, we are. This is how we live so often. But the reality is, what we believe is meant to impact how we live. It's meant to impact the life that we live, but we can't just think it. We have to begin to put into place practices in our lives that will help us ultimately become the very person that we believe God created us to be. And I believe that we've forgotten at, at, at our core that the way of Jesus is a way of life. It is not just simply a way of thinking. It definitely is a way of thinking. That's why I'm saying it's not just a way of thinking. It is a way of life as well. It is an invitation to life to the full, not just about experiencing life in eternity, but beginning to experience your eternity now through the way that you live. Jesus is inviting you not just to wait for life, but to experience it now. And so this is the opportunity. This is the invitation in front of each of, each of us. And again, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that if we just kind of commit to these nine practices, then life is going to be easy and comfortable and happy and healthy and wealthy. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is in the midst of this, we are taking hold of the gospel invitation. The gospel invitation is an invitation of surrender. It's an invitation to come and die, to take up your cross daily to follow Jesus, to surrender your will and your desires before him. We surrender and die to our own thoughts. We surrender and die to our own dreams. We surrender and die to our own plans and our way of life for his desire, his thoughts, his dreams, his plans for our lives. This is the invitation before us. It is not just enough to know. We have to begin to put it into practice as well. Right? Anyone who's had a, a medical diagnosis likely understands this. Right? It's not enough just to know that you are, are, are allergic to gluten. Right? You actually have to begin to take steps to begin to cut that out of your diet. Or else knowing that is not going to change anything. You have to begin to put it into practice. And so, friends, we have to begin to understand that the same is true when it comes to our faith. And this is why the earliest followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. They were living a way of life that was so countercultural to the, to the 
current of that world at that moment. The way that they cared for each other, the way that they sacrificed for each other, the way that they walked in humility towards one another, the way that they were generous with one another. They were known for their peace that they had, their deep care and hospitality. These things marked them, not just as a way of thinking, but as a way of living as well. And so we need to understand that the practices, they play a significant role in our formation. But it is important for us to know that it, is, it comes as a response to our thinking. It requires a right way of thinking. That is why they go hand in hand together. And my assumption here for most of us is that we don't need more knowledge some of us maybe, but here's, here's the little hint that I want to give you. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of sermons on YouTube. There is a lot of things that you can do to consume and take in information, to grow your knowledge about who Jesus is, what he came to do. The theology reality is, is that there is a lot there for you to take in. My my experience has been this, that most of the time when I talk about bearing fruit in people's lives, they know that that is important, but they don't know how to implement it into their lives. They don't know what to do next. You see, I don't think knowledge is our problem. I believe our problem is love. Our problem is love. We love the wrong things. Let me paint a picture for you. And maybe this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me on multiple occasions. I have come to church on a Sunday or I've gone to a training and, and I have been moved by what's said. I have realized that like there's something in my life that needs to shift and change. And so I go home with great excitement, fervor, passion about kind of this, this light that has been turned on in my heart and in my mind. And I'm eager to tackle the next day in this new way of living. And then my alarm goes off on Monday morning. And I hit my snooze button. And guess what doesn't really change much? My life. It doesn't matter how passionate I was about it. Because everyone wakes up to whether you're normal and to an alarm. Or you, like, you just wake up with the sun. you know, uh, And with joy. Like We all wake up on Mondays. With, the, with reality kind of hitting us in the face. See, we don't necessarily need more knowledge. We need to know what to do next. And the problem is, is that we have a problem with what we love. And I'm not necessarily saying these things are wrong, but I want to go back to what I said a couple months ago. I would argue that they are lesser. They're not bad. Netflix is not bad, but it may be lesser. Social media is not bad, but it may be lesser. And we want to give our lives to not lesser things, but to greater things that ultimately produce the character of Jesus into our lives. Again, Amazon is not bad. Love Amazon. Two-day shipping is so good. But it does, have a, it does create a hold on my heart. Social media is not bad, but what is it doing to my soul? Netflix is not bad, but what is it doing for the very things that I long for? Our problem is that our loves are disordered. They're misordered in our lives. And so we begin to put these things that are lesser things in greater places for us to begin to live out. And so the question then becomes, how do we change our loves? 
and almost all research would show you through practice. Through practice. If you don't love to exercise, research would show you, well, what do you need to do? Exercise. You're never going to learn to love to going to, you're never going to learn to love going to the gym until you actually go to the gym. I don't love saving, but what do I need to do? Create a budget that will help me to save. I don't love feeling exhausted in the morning, so what do I need to do? I need to make a plan, a practice to go to bed earlier now. I don't love eating healthy, so what do I need to do? I need to make a plan to begin to introduce healthier things into my diet so that I begin to long for those things. You see, the way that we change our loves is through practice. And again, no matter kind of what research you look at, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say no matter what research you look at, a lot of research that you look at will say these, the same thing, that the things we do do something to us. The things that we do, they shape our attention, they shape our affections when it comes to the world around us. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. While they may seem small, the daily habits that we live into, they shape our lives and they shape our habits. And what's interesting is that these things often become idols in our lives that dictate the way that we live to the point where when we want to give them up, guess what it's really hard to do? To give them up because they've taken such a hold on our lives. Again, in my experience, the big sin is often the easiest sin to kind of root out of people's lives. It's the small, daily, unseen sin that is the hardest to break off of people's lives. And so, you've heard us say often that if we want to adopt the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So often what we want, uh uh-oh, been there, uh feel for that mom. Uh, So if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So often we look at the outcome, we think that's my aim and that is good. We should have a vision of the good life for our life. But the question becomes, what are you doing in your day-to-day rhythms? How are those things shaping you and how are you basing them off of the lifestyle of Jesus? to ultimately help you produce the life of Jesus. We fully believe that the right practices to adopt are the practices of Jesus, to look at his life and imitate it. Or another way to say it would be to do the things that he did. So the question naturally you ask yourself is, then what did Jesus do, right? What are the things that Jesus did? And again, I want to kind of revisit what we went through just a couple weeks ago. These nine practices are practices that make up what we are calling our way of life. This is a tool, a structure to build our lives around to help you ultimately become the person that you believe God has created us to be, created you to be. And so our desire, our plan, our path is to kind of adopt these nine practices. And we built them around the three goals of a disciple, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so when it comes to the practices of being with Jesus, we believe that these are things that should be done each and every day. These practices include solitude. Solitude is the intentional setting aside of time to be alone before God, to allow him to speak into our lives. 
The second practice of being with Jesus that we believe should be done daily is just regular time alone in God's word of scripture. We believe that scripture is God's story. And if we desire to renew our mind with God's word, then we need to be in it each and every day. And finally, we believe that the practice of prayer should be something that that we practice daily. It's at the center of a life with God. We integrate regular moments of prayer into our daily lives. And I don't believe that it's like we pray one time, but rather we learn to kind of do what Paul said and pray continuously to practice the presence of God each and every day day. Around when it comes to becoming like Jesus, we believe that these practices should be done weekly. Can they be done more than weekly? Obviously, yes, they can be done more than that, but we believe that they should be done weekly. These include practices of community. This is the reality that we are meant to live life together in a spiritual family. That's why we talk about family so much here, because we really believe that the church is meant to reflect a family towards one another. And so our plan, our desire is that you would be in community. That's why city groups are such an emphasis for us here at Hill City. We believe that Sabbath is a practice that should be done weekly. Sabbath is a gift from God that allows us to embrace our limitations by living in a rhythm of work and rest. And finally, fasting. We believe that fasting should be a weekly rhythm for us as followers of Jesus, where we go without food for a period of time. And it's in fasting that we weaken the flesh's power in our lives. And I believe that we open kind of the door for us to hear from God in a more clear way. Then it comes to doing, when it comes to doing what Jesus did, we believe that these practices should be done monthly or quarterly, whatever works best for you. And we're kind of cheating. I say nine practices. Technically, there's ten because we combine simplicity and generosity into one. In many ways, we think they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, simplicity is the idea that we do not uh, live with kind of Uh, no margin in our lives, but rather we create space for what really matters and we enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us. And then we really believe that as you live simply, it it will lead you to live more generously as well. And this is where we use the gifts that God has given us to bless the people around us for the sake of the gospel. The second uh, practice when it comes to doing what Jesus did is the gift uh, or the practice of hospitality. This is, this is the act of inviting others into your life and making the stranger feel like family. In doing so, we open the gospel, open the door for the gospel to become real in people's lives where they can experience it one-on-one. And finally, we believe that multiplication is a significant invitation of the gospel, that we are not meant just to kind of take in and take in and hold it to ourselves, but rather we are meant to give it out to the people around us. And so the question becomes, who are you pouring your life into? Who are you investing into so that they can ultimately follow Jesus in this way as well? These are the nine practices. Are there more than nine practices? Yes, there are more than nine practices. But these are the practices that we are kind of building our lives around here at Hill City. And we want you to do that as well. And so we created a template that we think is helpful in kind of putting your uh, practices into a plan. And so you begin kind of writing down what you want to do. We would invite you to use this QR code again right now to, to go to our Way of Life page on our website. And again, there's a template there that you can download where you can begin to fill 
fill it out so that you can begin to implement these practices into your life. That was a lot. Here's what I want to invite you to do, though. A lot of people look at these nine and say, I do not have the ability to add to my life right now. Listen, I have four kids that are all 10 and younger. Like, I get it. Life is full. Life is busy. Margin may be small for you. But here's what I want to invite you to do. For today, at least, I want you to focus less on what practices are you doing and focus more on what are these practices doing to you? What are these practices inviting you into? How will these practices shape and change and mold your heart, your affections, your attentions to look more like Jesus? If these things will ultimately produce in you the life that you long for, the life that you were created for, then they are worthy things to not just kind of dip your toe into, but to go all in on. They are worthy things to give your life to. Many of us are already feeling overwhelmed. We feel tired. We feel weary. We feel burdened. But this is where the beautiful invitation of Jesus, of this different kind of life, meets us. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, friends, is not inviting you into a set of rules. He's inviting you into a way of life that gives your soul rest before him. We take his yoke upon our shoulders. We don't know much about a yoke today, but a yoke was a wooden tool for farming. And the idea is that you would have kind of an ox here, an ox here, and a wooden uh, or a piece of wood that would kind of go over their shoulders and attach underneath them by a rope. And the idea is that it was meant to evenly kind of divide the work and the labor of these two ox in plowing the field behind it. And so the idea is in this analogy that Jesus is giving, which is, was a common analogy for Jesus and rabbis in his day, is that when we begin to follow a rabbi, to take on their teaching, we place their yoke upon us, their way of living upon our shoulders. And for many people, we think that that yoke will feel heavy. It will feel burdensome. It will make us weary and anxious. But here's the interesting upside-down reversal way of the gospel. The longer we carry Jesus' yoke, the lighter we will actually feel. How do I know that? Because Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is not placing upon us these heavy rules that feel like it's just too much for us to bear. And, and every time we kind of get some energy, we lift it up again, but over time it just beats us down. No, the interesting reality is that over time we will actually feel lighter. We will find more freedom in, in the way that we live. You see, Jesus had these religious leaders who were following him around a little bit uh, at the time known as Pharisees very critical of his ministry 
And what's interesting is the Pharisees, I believe that the Pharisees had good intentions. I believe they wanted to follow God and come into union and communion with Yahweh. But here's what I think. I think that they forgot why the law was important. See, they followed the what of the law. They followed all 613 regulations that's found in the law. And that became the king. That became what was important. That became the status. What was I doing to follow Jesus? And here is how their yoke is described by Jesus himself in Matthew 23. In describing their teaching, he says, they, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put on them other people's, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves, they're not even willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, friends, when you focus on the what, when the what is the emphasis, what am I doing? What am I, what's my focus? How am I doing this? It becomes a burden that's so heavy to bear. It becomes cumbersome. But the reality is Jesus is not inviting you to something heavy and cumbersome. He's inviting you to remember why these practices matter. What are these practices doing to me? These practices are leading us into a deeper intimacy with Jesus. And so what, what if you choose a different practice than these nine? That's great. Our desire is that not that you do these nine practices and only these nine practices, but rather you would look at your own heart and say, here's what I need to experience deep intimacy with Jesus. That's our desire. That's the power of the practices in your life. They create space and margin for you to experience the transformation that God desires to do in each of us through the Holy Spirit. So do not focus on the what. Remember the why. Why are we doing this? What are they doing to you? How are they forming you? How are they shaping you? How are they creating you to be more like Jesus? When you remember the why, the why of what, how, the why of pursuing the practices of Jesus, you'll experience this. You will not experience heavy, burdensome weariness, but rather you will experience a fruit of this kind of rhythm that will bring about peace and joy. This is what I want for Hill City. I want you to look back at 2024, a year from now, and say, I'm so much more peaceful. I'm living in so much more joy because I'm experiencing the freedom that comes from this kind of way of living. I'm experiencing a way of life that is free and that is light. I'm experiencing a way of life that brings rest for my weary soul. And it feels like maybe when you look at it on paper, I'm doing more, but the reality is I'm actually doing less because I'm living into what Jesus has for us. My final word of kind of just advice as you step into this kind of study of the practices is that following Jesus doesn't work as a hobby. But rather, following Jesus is the main point of life. If you are coming on Sundays as like a little shot in the arm, if you're just trying to kind of like dip your toe to feel better about yourself, that's okay, you are welcome here. But can I tell you, 
that that will not produce the life that you are longing for. That will not experience the soul rest that Jesus is inviting you into. You will still feel heavy. You will still feel burdened. You will still feel weary. You will still feel, still feel anxious. But if you are willing to give your life over to Jesus, if he is able to fill the main point of your life, if he becomes the center of it all, then, then you will experience the free and light life that God is inviting us into. So friends, my invitation to us today, this morning, really in the upcoming year, as we step into each of these practices, is what are they doing to us? If, they, if Jesus is at the center of everything that we do, if he is the main point of our lives, then we will begin to experience the fruit of this kind of life, a fruit of practicing the way of Jesus together, where we usher in the kingdom of heaven here in Farmington Hills, just like it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for where God is leading us and taking us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the realities of who you are. God, I thank you that when we read your word, you are not just kind of offering us a way of thinking 2,000 years ago, but you are offering us the way to life. God, I, I, I pray that you would awaken our hearts to this reality. Holy Spirit, I pray that in these next few moments, you would give us a vision for the life, God, that you have created us for. And that you would give us clarity and understanding that the way of our life, the spiritual habits that we have, the, the practices that we live into, that they shape us and lead us and guide us into that way of life. May we as a church be known for this, to lean into these realities, to come and be a church that is not just known for great Sunday gatherings, but as a church that bears fruit for your name. Because we as your people are living the kind of life that you've invited us into. Deepen our faith, deepen our understanding of who you are, but also deepen our way to live into that good life that you've created us for as we step into the center of your will. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. As we declare you to be the center of our lives, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would invite, uh, that you would come and search, that you would invite us to respond in a way where we lay things before you that are not from you, put a stake in the sand where we say tomorrow will be different. Jesus, we love you. And we together declare that we long to have you at the center of our lives. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message at Hill City. We would love to have you join us Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at thisishillcity.com.